Okay, uh, good morning. Today's shir is Le'ilu Nishmas Yehudis Bashmuel. And it is, today's daf is daf pay. I'm just going to read from the last three lines of Ayn Tess Amud Bey's 79b. So, the Gemara, um, the Gemara, remember we kept, we're discussing minimum, the minimum size of certain items to be liable a korban chattis on Shabbos. It has to be something significant. So what's considered uh, the basic amount. So the Mishnah mentioned, Dayokadei Liso. Ink, enough to write, and it's enough to write two letters. Now, it's two letters of Dayo. Dayo refers to the ink powder. They used to make, a, a, they used to make the ink and then it like evaporate it. And uh, the powder that you would dissolve in water. So that if there's enough power, powder to, m- to make ink to write two letters, you'd be liable on Shabbos for carrying it. Um, if you have enough ink in a quill to write two letters, and and two inks, two letters in the inkwell. It doesn't really matter where this ink is. If it's, it just has to be enough ink to write two Two letters. Um, just interestingly, Rashi asks, um, where was it? It says, what about the quill? Shouldn't you be liable for carrying the quill? So we have a general principle. I don't know, we haven't mentioned it really. But if there's an article that's specifically to carry the other item, it's considered toffle, secondary to the other item, to the item that you want, and you would not be liable for that item. So, for example, if you're carrying a flower in a bowl, you would not be liable for carrying the bowl. You'd only be liable for carrying the flower. And therefore, if there's less flour than the minimum shear, which I imagine by flour, it's a great grass, um, then you would be liable just for the flour. If there's less than that, then you'd be potter and you wouldn't be liable for the bowl. So I was thinking with our pens, especially like our pens, which once you finish the, as soon as it stops writing well, those plastic uh, big pens, you throw it, um, I'll mute everyone, um, you throw it out, then uh, we would say uh, the same thing, um, that if you carried the pen without any ink in, since it's worthless, you would not be chayav on Shabbos. Um, Basil, did you want to ask something? Sorry, I can't hear. You're muted. Um, boy, Robert, Robert asked, What happens if you have enough ink for one letter out of, enough ink powder for one letter, and enough ink in the quill for one letter? Or one enough ink in the inkwell for one letter? What would be the halacha? Do you join them together? And take it leaves it unresolved. Oh my Rav, Rav says, If someone carries out two letters worth of ink and he writes it while walking, Writing is the placing of the letters. Remember to transgress Shabbos, carrying on Shabbos, you need there are two stages. There's the Akira and the Hanocha. We're going all the way back to the beginning of the Masechta now. There's picking up the item and putting it down. So what happens if you're walking and while walking you're writing on the paper? 
So that's the Hanukkah of the ink. That's where ink's made to stay, where ink's made to rest on the paper. So even though theoretically you're still walking and you might want to say the ink is still moving and therefore it's not yet Hanukkah. No, as soon as you write it onto a piece of paper, that's it's Hanukkah. Um, I remember just this question reminded me of another question. If you're walking somewhere where there's no Eruv and you realize you have a, your tie in your pocket, do you put it on? Or do you find a Mokom Patur? Remember we mentioned if you're carrying a few, realize you're carrying on Shabbos, you put it in Mokom Patur. I'll mention what a Mokom Patur is a bit further down the page. Um, or do you put it on? And some held, well, if you put it on, that's great because then you're not carrying it anymore. It's made to be worn there and it's fine. And others hold, no, that's where a tie is put down, put on. And therefore to put your tie on, Hanoch, um, that is it's Hanochosan and it would be a problem to uh, and you would not to actually put your tie on would be worse because that would be putting it down yes Basil yeah but so okay so there's so there's numerous so in that case you'd be you'd transgress numerous Isuri but regarding the right we're discussing regarding the ink Writing is considered an Hanukkah of ink. So you would transgress carrying. And yes, you would also transgress writing. And when you stop, you'd also end up carrying the paper. Okay. If someone carried out enough ink to write one letter and then he wrote it, and then he did that again, he carried out enough ink for one letter and he wrote it. Potter, he's exempt. My timer, what's the reason he's exempt? By time he was carrying out the second amount of ink, the first ink had already lost its shear. Why? Because remember, as you write the ink on the paper, it starts to dry, and you actually have less ink. So the, you had enough ink, when, so you can't join the two acts together. What would be the same thing? Let's say you're carrying out food. So you carry half a grogeres from your house into the Rosh Harabim and put it down. And then you carry out a second half a grogeres into the Rosh Harabim and put it down. It says, We view the first piece as if it's already been eaten by a dog or burnt. Uh, burnt up, I it's not there, and therefore you can't join the shirim together. Again, if you're acting, Rashi points out, if you're acting in one lapse of awareness, we can join your acts together. So even though you did half a carrying and half a carrying, it's all in one lapse of awareness. There's an akira of a grogeres, of a full grogeres, even though it was done in two stages, and a hanocha of a grogeres, even though it was done in two stages. However, if it was eaten or burnt in the middle, well then, you didn't do a there isn't an Hanukkah of two amounts because when you put the second amount down, it's, there's no shear to join it to. It says, But the, the second half is there before you. Again, the case Robert said is if you carried out one letter, sorry, you carried out half a Grogeris and then you came and carried out a second half Grogeris and put it down next to the first. It says, How can you say that the shearing don't join Robert? So you're right. That actually, no, in that case, you would be Chai. It says, This is what he was saying. If you picked up the second one, the first piece, before you put down the second piece, you view the first piece as if it's been eaten by a dog or burnt, and you would be exempt. I, I'm not 100% clear on this. 
on the mechanics behind this, but along the lines of a game. You had a person who stepped into his house, he took out half a grogerius of bread and put it down on a bench in Rosh Hashanah. And then he went back inside and he got another half grogerius and put it next to the first piece on that bench, on the floor in the Rosh Hashanah. Now that is, he's transgressed, carrying in Bichav to bring a korban, because the two acts join together to make it as if he's carried out a grogeris and however if before he carried out the second half he picked up the first half when he puts down the second half there's no first half to join it to there's no hanoch of the first half to join it to because the first the second half has already been removed and therefore he would be potter Oh, then Vaoma Rava Rava says Hoitzi He carried out half the Grogeres, let's say from Rushus Hayochid into the Rushus Harabim. And then he went out for Khazavahitzi Khatzi Grogeres. And he took out another half the Grogeres. And he passed it over the first piece, he would be Chayev. He doesn't have to actually put it down, he just has to carry it just over the first piece. Vamai Holonach, but he put it didn't put it down. So the Gemara says, no, Kagon Shevira told Shoshetz where he carried it within three Tvachim of the other piece. Remember, you know the concept of Lovud? When something's within three Tvachim of another thing, like your this piece, half a piece of food, is within three Tvachim of the other half a piece of food, we join them as if they connected. So it's as if you put them down. So Gmar, okay, so that works very well if you hold that Rava holds for this concept of Lovud. By carrying that, when it's in three tvochim of the ground, it's, it's, it's as if you've put it down. Then it's okay. You've put down, even though it's really still in your hand. It's as if you've put it down, and you have you you've picked up and you've put down two half grogerises together, and you'd be chayev. Says v'hom marava, but rava said Even if it's within three tvochim, according to the rabbanon, you need it to land on something. We know there's a machloikas, we actually mentioned it at the beginning of the Masechta, but I think the primary sugya is still coming up, is if you throw something from a... Rishus HaYochid into another Rishus HaYochid through the Rishus HaRabim. Right, so you're throwing a tennis ball across the street from your house into the person who lives across the street. Now there, Rabbi Akiva says, as soon as it passes through the airspace of the Rishus HaRabim, it's as if it's landed. However, the Rabbonin argue and say, no, you can't say it's landed unless it actually lands. So we don't treat it as if it landed in Rishus HaRabim, and therefore it went from Rishus HaYochid to Rishus HaYochid. However, what happens if they throw it within three Tvachim of the ground? So even there, Rava says it has to actually land. So we see even within three Tvachim of the ground, Rava doesn't view it as connected. So the Gemara answers for Rav, he says, No, the difference is whether you throw it or whether you pass it over. And Rashi explains, because when you throw it over, okay, so there's nothing to make a considered lovud. But when you have this piece of bread in your hand, the bread's at rest in your hand. And when your hand moves over the other piece of food within three tvachim of it or within three tvachim of the ground, well then, it's as if your hand's put down, like we know when a person stops walking, it's as if he's at rest. So, so to his hand, when it's within three twachim of the ground, it's at rest. Therefore, the bread which is resting on his hand will be at rest. But you're right, if you would throw, according to this, the Rabbonin and Rava, if you would throw this food across the Rishus Harabim 
within three twachim of the ground, we don't view it as if it's landed. Okay. Um, yeah, now this Brysa is actually the source of the halacha, I guess, that Rava's principle has been built on. It says, or at least one of the sources, If someone carries out half a grogeres, and then he carries out another half a grogeres, in, if it's in one lapse of awareness, Chayev is liable. In two lapses of awareness, he's potter. He carried out half a grogeres of bread, then he realized, wait, it's Shabbos. I'm not allowed to do that. And then he forgets again and he carries out another half gregarious of bread. He would be liable. He would not be liable because the awareness in the middle splits the lapses of awareness. So we don't view it as if he had a, one lapse of awareness of carrying a gregarious. Rabbi Yossi says, not only does, does it have to be one lapse of awareness, it also has to be in one into one rishus, one domain. But if he carries it into different rishus, i.e. different rishus harabim, well then it, he would be potter. It's considered two distinct acts. I, if he goes out his front gate and puts the half a piece of, half a grogeres of food in the rishus harabim there, and he goes out his back gate, and he puts half a Rishus Harabim there. It's two, a half a piece, half a Grogeris in that Rishus Harabim. It's two different Rishus Harabim. And Rabbi Yoisi holds that just as two different lapses, two separate lapses of awareness makes it as if it's two completely distinct acts, so too when you put it in different Rishus, different Rishus Harabim, it's considered different lapses of awareness. Now the Amoraim are going to debate what would make something considered a different Rishus Harabim? I, let's say you have uh, that police tape across the street. Does that make, and he would put half the Grogeris on one side of the police tape and half of the Grogeris on the other side of the police tape. Does that make it, uh, what's it you know, those, uh, what's it, those red warning ribbon things going across the street. Does that make it two different Rishus? Or is that one Rishus? So that's what the Gomorrah is going to go into. Obviously, if it's a Rishus Hayochit, there's the Rishus HaYochid, and you put uh, splitting up the Rishus HaRabim, then it would definitely be two different Rishus. But are there other considerations that would make it a Rishus HaYochid? So, Omar Rabba Rabba says, It has to be that there's a Rishus HaYochid, something that would obligate you in a Koban Chattas if you went from Rishus HaRabim to it, then it considered two different Rishus Harabim that the half act of carrying, the two half acts of carrying, don't join together. Amal Karmelis law, but if it's a Karmelis, he would not be liable. Remember, what's a Karmelis? So Rashi, um, Rashi reminds us, but remember, um, a Karmelis is an area that's really considered a Rishus Hayachid, but for various reasons, Chazal, uh, the Rabbonin, came along and made a decree that we view it kind of like Rishus, um, Rishus Hayachid, like a large open area. A large open area. People don't really walk there, and it doesn't get the criteria of a Rishus Harabim, but it would have the... but. It is a public place. Anyone can go there. So the rabbi said it's considered 
Rishus Harabim. So, yeah, Abaya Omar Afilu Carmelis, Aval Pisla law. Abaya says even a Carmelis, but not a Pisla. So let's just analyze Abaya's place. Let's say you step out of your house and you go to, and there's a Carmelis, let's say a courtyard. You could go, um, you could go to the right, and there's the street. Or yeah, I think the Gomorrahs actually have a have a diagram. If you would carry um, from, if you carry from house, if you look at, in Marashi, it has a picture. But if you carry from the ho- the top house into the Rishus Harabim, and you carry from the second house into the Rishus Harabim, half a carrying, and there's a Carmelis in the middle. There's a courtyard in the middle, which makes it. Two, does that make it considered two sets as uh, different Rishus HaRabim? And so obviously as Rabbi said, no. Abayah said, yes, it does, but not a pisla. What's a pisla? A pisla literally is a block of wood. But that means a mokom patur. Remember when we were learning Hilchashab, uh, when we were learning about carrying and defining the Rishus towards the beginning of the Masechta, we learned about a mokom patur. That's an area, is it higher than four Tvachim or higher than ten Tvachim? Um... But basically, it's two. It's a block that's let's just say higher than ten tefachim because that's definitely a mokum patur, and it is um, and it's less than four by four tefachim because if it was more than four by four tefachim, it would be rishus hayochid. The area on top is less than four by four tefachim, and. Um, so it's a mokom petur, that's a pisla, this block of wood. It's a separate, a separate rishus, but even less of a distinct rishus than a, than a, than a carmelis. A carmelis is an actual rishus. This is just a, a not almost a negative space. Now, comes along um, a buyer and he says, if there's this pisla, so let's say there's a plank going, there's a street, and there's a plank between the two rishus harabims. So according to Abaya, that does not split up the Rishus Harabim into two separate Rishus Harabims. But according to Rava, the Rava Amar Afilu Pisla, even a Pisla splits it up. Was the Rava the time and Rava goes according to his understanding. To Amar Rava, Rishus Shabbos, Rishus Gitin Damia. The Rishus of Shabbos, what's considered a jurisdiction for Shabbos, is the same as a considered a jurisdiction, a, a domain, a Rishus for Gitin. So we see Rava holds that even this Pisla. So if you'd carry from the top house into the Rishus Harabim, half a Grogeris, and you do another half act of carrying from the bottom house into the Rishus Harabim, and there's this beam across the Rishus Harabim, it's considered splitting the Rishus Harabim into two separate Rishus Harabim, that according to Rabbi Yossi, we view it as two separate domains. And you would only be liable for one um, and you, sorry, you would not be liable to a chattis because it's considered two distinct acts. Again, if it was, let's say um, it was a house into Rishus Harabim, and there was another house into that Rishus Harabim, and it was just uh, the same Rishus Harabim, and you carried from one house half a carrying into the Rishus Harabim, and in the same lapse of awareness, you carried a second piece into the, that Rishus Harabim, everyone would agree that you chayev a chattis, you join the two acts of carrying together. Okay, just what did we mean regarding getting? So Rashi reminds us of the sugi and get. Um, there are two ways to deliver a get. A husband has to give his get to his wife, a divorce document. Either he can 
give it into her hand or he can put it into her property. What happens? She's been married for the last many, many years. She doesn't have her own property. So what does he do? He lends her his courtyard. And what happens if there's a log, a pile of logs, or one big log, big tree stump in that courtyard and he throws the get into the courtyard and it lands on that log? Do we consider? So Robert says it's a separate rest- uh, it's a separate, a separate domain. When he get, if the get landed in the courtyard, which he lent her for the purpose of receiving the get, good, he get, it counts as giving the get. But if it lands on this log, which is considered a separate domain, it would not count as giving a get. And then Robert takes that and he says, and it's the same thing by Shabbos. That, that log is considered a separate domain enough to split the Rishus Harabim. Okay, carrying on. The Mishnah mentioned, Kachol Likol Ein Achas. It says, if you're carrying out makeup enough to do one eye. She says, Ein achas lo, No woman's ever going to put makeup on one eye. It should be enough. Ma- What's the minimum amount of makeup that a woman would keep that would be considered choshev? Uh, you have to put on two eyes. So, Amaravuna, um, no, Shekain Tznuos Kochlos Ein Achas. He says, no, the extra modest woman would only put makeup on one eye. Seems from Rashi, it's speaking about extremely modest women that basically cover themselves completely except for one eye. Therefore, they only have to put makeup on that one eye. They have, uh, what's it, they take burqas to the whole new level. It's not, not a strip for both eyes. It's just, it covers their whole face except for one eye. And that's why he would be liable. Um, and that's why there is a value in the amount of makeup just enough for one eye. Mosib Rebbe Shimon Ben, they challenged this. Says, if you're carrying out this eye paste for refuah, well then obviously if it's just enough for one eye, sometimes you only need a medica- a, a ointment on one eye. But if it's for makeup, the kashate for jewelry, well then it has to be enough for two eye. Two eyes. It says no. Targum a hillel braid Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachmani ki tanyahu ba'aronios. Says no. The second brayser that it's enough for two uh, that you only have if you carry enough for two eyes. Uh, two eyes is in a village. I in a more public area like a city, and the people are. I don't know what the word would be. Light hearted. There's much many more people. Then sneers, uh, as a measure of sneers, women would cover everywhere except one eye. And there was this, seemed almost a, a good, a modest behavior, an extra modest behavior that was in. But in a small village, where there are not that many people, this mid of sneers is not even necessary. And therefore, women would never cover both eyes. Therefore, they would always need the minimum amount of enough to cover two eyes. Um, just what they bring this in, the interesting discussion. We know the, I mean, I'm sure you've heard about it. What makes something a public domain? If it is large enough to carry for 600,000 people, or if it's an area where 600,000 people pass through it, then it's considered a public domain. So, I mean, that's a, that's a big discussion elsewhere, but some of the commentaries want to bring up a, a, a proof from this Gomorrah. This whole discussion here is how much are you liable for carrying? And obviously we're discussing liable Doraisa because you're discussing when you'd have to bring a Korban Chattas. And it mentions here, even in a village, even if there's a village, if you carry enough eye um, mascara for both eyes, though you'd be high for carrying on Shabbos. 
So it must be, even if there's a village, even if they're not 600,000 people, it could still be considered a Rishus Harabim. Don't know how the others would answer that, but this is interesting Gomorrah brought in one of the proofs of that discussion. Okay, then, I mean, the Gomorrah is a little bit out of order here, but I'm just going to go according to our order. It keeps, it will keep it uh, more straightforward. It says, Shava Kadeilita and Alpi Nekev Katan, enough wax to put over a small hole. Tana Kadeilita and Alpi Nekev Katan shall yayin to put up a small hole in the, um, in the barrel of wine. And what he means by wine as opposed to anything else. If you have a little barrel with wine in, the hole that you make to get the wine out is going to be smaller than if you have a barrel of honey or something thicker. So even if you have enough wax just to block up that hole, you would be high on, on carrying. We said if you carry out enough glue to put at the top of a pole, you would be chayev. It says, what does that mean? We're speaking about the reed or the pole of trappers. One of the ways that they trap birds is you put a, a glue on the end of a thing and you get the birds to land on the glue and they get stuck there and then you catch the glue, catch the birds. Now that's obviously a decent amount of glue than the amount of glue you'd put, I guess, to stick two papers together or something like that. But that's the amount of glue you'd be hive. Zephes for gaffris, kadei lasos, etc. Zephes and gaffris, we said to make a whole ton of kadei lasos, nekev katan, the amount that would be made with, for a small hole. Basically, they had vials of mercury. Not sure what you would do with a vial of mercury. Anyone know? Um, and to get the mercury out, that would be sealed with the lead or gaffris um, seal on the top, and they'd make a hole to get some of the mercury out, and then that small hole to block up is what we're discussing now. Enough cheres to block up the opening of a furnace, I think. The Mamre Dishur, the Rebbe Yehuda Nofish, you're telling me that Rebbe Yehuda is saying a larger amount than the Tanakama, because the Tanakama said enough cheres to block up the small hole in the crucible. And Rabbi Yehuda says it's enough to make a tripod. Sounds like Rabbi Yehuda is speaking about a much larger amount of cheres. He says, and We have a principle, it seems from, and we've seen this as a broad-reaching principle, that all these discussions, Rabbi Yehuda is always a, um, the Rabbonin are always speaking about a larger shield than Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says, how much string do you have to take out? Not the amount for a, for a serve, but even the small amount to measure a child's foot width. So we see Rabbi Yehuda is always the smaller amount. So it can't be that Rabbi Yehuda is saying enough for a tripod when the rabbi said enough to fill up a small hole. Says no, enough for to fill the cracks of a small tripod. I the thing that you rest the pot on, if it got a few cracks in, how much chalcit um, would you use to fill up that crack? Just an interesting question. What's their machlok is based on, and why do we have this as a principle? Rabbi Yehuda always says the smaller amount, because remember we learned early on in this discussion of the minimum shiurim, it's. Um, we gave the principle, sorry, what was it? That it's the amount that people. So, what happens if an item has two uses? Do you go after the larger amount or the smaller amount? And part of that was based on which is the more common use. We said you generally the Chazal made the, the, they gave these measurements based on the common use. So, I think if I remember correctly, it's the Ramban who brings that. Uh, 
Um, it's Ramban that brings that it's based on that they're obviously arguing and obviously you often have two items that are that's used a similar amount of times or how common is considered common that it would still fall under that issue okay carrying on um Subin Kadailitan Alpi Kurshil Tsorfe Zohov said enough bran they would make a paste out of bran to again block the I think it was like to block a hole in the furnace for the for the for the gold refiner or something like that. Torabonan Hamoitsi Sayar Kadela Gavel Boisatit and if he carries out enough hair to knead into tit. I um tit lasois pikur and enough tit to make an uh, opening to block the opening of this kur shiltzorfezov of those who would make work with gold. Sid, how much Sid? Kadeilosud, etc. We said the little a little bit of a young girl. They used to we basically going to see two uh, comes out there seems to be two uses for the Sid, this lime that they that young girls would smear on themselves. One is as a dep- uh, depilatory to take off their hair. And the other is it would cause their it would bring a nice color to their skin. So we'll just always discuss. It seems the more common one seems to be for the color of their skin. A lot of these make more sense then. So we'll just go with that one. But It's even if you carry out just enough to put enough seed on a small finger of one of these young girls. These young girls who would reach, um, start to show signs of maturity, but they were still very young. They weren't 12 yet. The, the poor girls would, um, I think, the, yeah, take off their hair with seed. They would use some sort of flour mixture. But the princesses would use shemen hamor to get off this, to get off the hair or to get this color to their skin. By Esther, when they were preparing all the girls to go before Achashverosh, they used to rub them in the shemen hamor to bring a nice color to their skin. My shemen hamor, what is shemen hamor? Rav Huna Barchia Omar Satchas. It's some sort of perfumed uh, spicy oil. Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba Omar Shemen Zayis Shelohev Yeshlish. Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba says no. It's oil, olive oil made out of very unripe olives. Tanya Rav Yudo Omer Anpiknun Shemen Zayis Shelohev Yeshlish. Rav Yehuda says ah. The Anpiknon is also this oil made out of these very unripe olives. Why would people rub themselves with this oil? It removes the hair and it uh, causes their skin to glow. It brings a nice color to their skin. Rav Bibi used to... Um, put this on his daughter limb by limb. Uh, you don't you don't put it on the girl all at once. You do it a little bit by little bit. And Shokobor Dalid Zuze, she looked beautiful. She had this beautiful glow, and therefore she he was able. Um, there was a, a almost a bidding contest for Kesef Kiddushin, and he received four hundred zuz for her. So there was this Nanju in the neighborhood who said, Oh, look look how beautiful it made his daughter. I want to do that to my daughter. And he did this whole procedure on his daughter and one shot, and it actually caused her to die. 
And Omar, he said, Koto Rabbibi the Barti. Rabbibi has killed my daughter. Omar of Nahum Babibi, Omar of Nahman. Rabbibi the Shashi Sikhra Bayayin Bon Saitofla. This is not necessary for all Jews. Most Jews don't have to worry about having this oil rubbed on their skin and stuff. They're beautiful as they are. It's, um, it's just Rav Bibi's house who drank a lot of beer. His daughters required this procedure. And Our daughters, we who don't drink so much beer, um, don't, uh, don't need this. Isn't there, isn't there a colloquial saying that uh, beer puts hair on your chest? So that's the concern here. <laughs> okay. Yes, Basil. Yeah. So we were just discussing Sid. How much of this lamb is one liable for carrying out? So the Tanakama said, This amount that they would use, that the young daughters would use, so enough to put on just one of their limbs. As we've just seen, you would would never do all your whole body at once. So even just a small amount is just enough to do one small limb is a a valuable amount. Then it says, Enough to make a kalkel. And Rabbi Nechemia Omer Kedai Losud Undafni. No, enough. Enough to put lime, the sod, on andufni. So the Gemara asks, um, and it's going to ask regarding both of them. Says my kalkul or my andifi. What are they? So Omar Rav Tzidi Yobasiri. Rav said the one refers to the hair by the temples. Enough lime to put on to remove the hair by the temples, and the other one says no. It's enough hair to remove ubastida. That's the hair. Just under or around the temples. Says Lamaimra the Shura the Rebbe Yehuda Nafish. You telling me that Rebbe Yehuda's Shura is more Hokaimelon to Shura the Rabbanan Nafish. We said this principle at the bottom of the previous page. Rebbe Yehuda is the one who always says the lesser amount. So Zuta mid no. He says no. Zuta mid the Rabbanan v'Nafish mid Rebbe Chemia. It's not that Rebbe Yehuda is necessarily the smallest shear out of everyone. He's always smaller than the Rabbanan. So the Rabbanan were enough lamb to smear on a small limb. Rebbe Yehuda is smaller than that, which is enough lamb for to remove the hair by the temples. And Rebbe Nachemia is even smaller than that. But we're not worried about that. Rebbe Nachemia is smaller than Rebbe Yehuda. When we said Rebbe Yehuda is this, a small shear, we meant in the Rabbanan. Macy they challenged Rab. Says Ain. Rabbi Yehuda makes more sense when we're speaking about a more liquid lamb mixture, and Rabbi Nechemia makes more sense babotzis asid when we're speaking about blocks or lamps of lamb. If you thought like Rav that we're speaking about to remove the hair of the temples and the hair around the temples, both of them. You would use liquid lamb. So why would he say, so it doesn't make sense for Rebbe to come along and say, it makes the one we're speaking about liquid lamb and the one we're speaking about and makes more sense in the measure of uh, solid um, cl- uh, blocks of lamb. Uh, they'd both be speaking about the same type of lamb. Lamb. So of the same type of seed. Ella, Omar Rebbe Yitzchak, so rather Rebbe Yitzchak says, Omri Dervei Rebbe Ami, in the name of Rebbe Ami, Andifa. What Rabbi Nechemia meant, I think they're assuming that the first shear of Rabbi Yehuda is to remove the hair by the temples. And Rabbi Ami is going on, Rabbi Nechemia is going on Difa. What's on Difa? 
So, and Dufa is a barrel of wine that had two different holes, one at the top and one at the bottom. And it's enough lime to fill both of those. Or just the bottom one, I'm not sure. Matke Florav, Kahana Vichy Otomoise Masov, and Porius is a person careless with his money. If you use lime to block up these holes in the wine barrels, the wine will dissolve the lime and it will just leak out. So you're going to actually, or the lime will go into the wine and ruin it. So a person's never going to use lime to block up a block up a barrel. El Omarav Kahana Shansus. What we mean is the measuring markings. Kedetnan makes sense now. Kedetnan, as we learned in a Mishnah, Shansus Hoyu Bahin. In the base of Migdash, they had markings in the hin measure. And it says, Ad le par, up until this line for the par, Ad le aisle, up until this line for the ram, and Ad le keves, and up until this line for a lamb. I remember we learned uh, Menachos, and we know that different carbonates you'd bring different amounts of flour or wine libations with it. So they had a, a measuring cup that held a hin, and it had markings, with, and they made their markings out of the seed. If you're using a bull, a bull, it would be half a hin. If you use, if I remember correctly, what's it? Um, what the measurements? Let me just check it. Rav says, yeah, for a bull you'd use half a hin. For an aisle, you'd use shlishisahin, so the marking would be a bit further down. And then for a lamb, it would be a quarter of a hin. So that's, um, that's what he says the um, Rebbe Nechemia's Andifi is referring to, these markings. Or you could say another answer is Andifi is a forehead. Again, remember, you'd put it on there, put it on their forehead to get a beautiful color. Like the case of this person from Galil went to Babel. Come tell us, tell us about Kabbalah. Masimakova refers to the chariot that Yechezkel um, speaks about in the beginning of Sefer Yechezkel, which is Hashem's throne and the angels and the spiritual realms. So Masimakova is a. Uh, What's a, a way of saying, let's learn uh, mysticism. Let's learn Kabbalah. So it says, He says, I'll, expound, I'll explain it to you like Reb Nechemia explained his colleagues. And a wasp came out of the wall and stung him. But Andife in his forehead, and he died. For Omrulay, Min Dilay, Dole. He brought this about from himself. Why did he bring this about himself, his own death? Because we learn in Maseches Chagiga, that a person, you're not allowed to teach Masim Merkova, you're not allowed to teach these sort of things in public. You're not allowed to teach mysticism and Kabbalah in public, and therefore he was going to do that, and therefore he deserved this punishment of being stung. But we bring in it to say Andufe as a proof for a forehead. Okay, next Mishnah, carrying on with the different measurements. Adoma, red clay, kechoisem hameratsufin. Enough to seal the cargo baskets. Divrei Rabbi Akiva, that's the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. It's no much smaller seal. It's enough to seal the letter. Zeva v'choladak. How much, um, what's a compost fertilizer and 
find sand is one liable for carrying on Shabbos. Enough to fertilize one cabbage leaf. That's Rabbi Akiva's opinion. And enough to fertilize a leek. How much coarse sand would one be liable for carrying? Enough to put on the, a full spoon of plaster. Um, plaster, yeah, for plastering like walls, etc. Sid, Sid Islam or plaster. Kana, how much reeds? How, how much of a reed would one have to carry to be liable? Which on Shabbos, could I last us kulmus enough to make a quill? If it was thick, too thick to use as a quill, or it was cracked, then Kadela Bashabal baits a color enough that you'd. Um, sorry, Marusa. Sorry, let me just read that again. If it was too thick to use as a quill or crap, so it couldn't hold the ink, then you would, how much read, how much of those sort of reads would you be able for carrying? Enough to cook the egg that is easiest of all eggs to cook when it's beaten and already in, and the pot's already hot. Right, so, how much. Reeds would you need to cook that sort of egg? We'll go a bit more into it. Just back into our mole kafsid. So the Mishnah said, how much? Um, so how much? Sorry, I lost the place. Oh, said kachola gas enough to. Um, for the spoon of plaster, Tana, but there was a brisa which there's a brisa which teaches enough to put on the end of the trowel of plasterers. Man Tana Mali Who's the opinion that holds you would put the thick sand in your plaster? You don't want sand in your plaster. You want it to you want the lime to be just pure white and without the sand in. So Omar it must be Rebuda. Titania, as we learned in a brisa, loyal sid a person is not allowed to plaster his house with sid. The reason is because sid leaves a very a beautiful finish, and uh, since the destruction of the base Amigdash. As a sign of mourning, we don't finish it to such a degree. It says, E on now. Yeah, Elohim came, Eruv Boteven Oichol, unless you mix straw or sand into your lamb, because that ruins it, makes it a little bit off white and not as nice into your seed. Rabbi Yehuda Aimer, this is why we bring this, Rabbi Yehuda Aimer, Teven Mutar Chol Osir. You can put, if you put straw in your seed, then you can use it. If you put sand in it, can't. Because it strengthens it. So what do we see from here? We see Rabbi Yehuda holds putting sand in plaster is good. And that's why if you carry enough sand that would be mixed into plaster, it would be a problem on Shabbos. According to the other opinion, putting sand in plaster is bad. That's why since the destruction of the temple, you could put you could plaster your house with with plaster mixed with sand because the sand is bad for the plaster. But if the sand is bad for the plaster, that would not be a problem of carrying that much on Shabbos. So Rava Amar Rava says, no, Afilu You could even say it's the rabbis, but it's what what makes it bad is its tikkun. I you you're right that the sand is bad for the plaster, but that is what makes us allowed to use it. The plaster we're not allowed to. There's a that you're not allowed to use the plaster unless you've put sand in. 
So granted the sand ruins it, you need the sand so that you are allowed to plaster your house. And therefore, the, it is still useful. And that's why you'd be liable for carrying it. Okay, then we said, Kanakadei lasos kumus, enough to make a kul tana kumus amigiel kishra boss. How long does it have to be? Enough to reach your knuckles or your, the joints in your fingers. Boy, Rabashi Kesher Elyon or Kesher Tachton. Are we speaking about the Kesher Elyon or the Kesher Tachton? Which joint? And take, we leave it unresolved. I think it's like this. If you're holding a pen, if it, you would, ideally, I guess you want it to be able to rest by your knuckles. Or I'm not or or at least by the by the joint close to your knuckles. If it's very short that it wouldn't reach there, then it's going to be much harder to balance and think. But which joint are we speaking about? The first joint or the second joint? That's Ravashi's question. Im hoya ova. We said if the le- if the reed was too thick or mess or cracked, so you can't use it as a quill. You, the quickest cooked egg. Says Tana trufa b'shem it's the egg that is beaten and mixed with oil and placed in the pot. How much reeds would you need to heat up that pot to cook the egg to completion? So Amalai Marbrade Ravina Lebray Mar this Marbrade Ravina said to his son, Mishmala Baits a colour. Have you heard what's this egg, Mahi? What's this egg that is the easiest to cook? The Mishnah said the egg that is easiest to cook, if it's already beaten and ready to put it and in the hot pot, how much reeds would you need to finish its cooking? What's this egg that's the easiest egg to cook? So Amalei, Bitusa de Tziltel, says the egg of a dove. My time, or what's the reason? Mishum de Zutra, because it's small. Says Ama, you're telling me the reason is because it's a smaller egg. Says, well, Ama de Tsiparta will then say of a hummingbird or a bird that the eggs are much smaller. Can't, so the reason on the mission can't be because it's it can't be a dove's egg because that's the smallest egg. So Ishtiki was silent. So So he asked his father, Have you heard Pshat in what's this easy to cook egg? So Amalei, Hachi Omer Rav Sheshes said as follows, Beitz is Tarnagol. It's the chicken's egg. Umay Korile Beitz a Kala. And why is it called the easiest egg? The sages worked out that this is actually the easiest egg to cook. So if you're cooking uh, pigeon, uh, what's it, dove eggs and chicken eggs and ostrich eggs, the the chicken eggs is actually the easiest to cook, the quickest to cook. And why all of a sudden, every other measurement of Shabbos when we're discussing food, it's enough to cook a kibetza, carrying a kibetza, it's a, 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 sorry, not a kibetza, a kibetza, and all of a sudden we say it's enough to cook an egg, it should be enough to cook a kibetza, he says, no, Amalei Hachi Omer Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman explained, Kegrogeres mi beitza kala. We don't mean to cook a full egg or a, the egg of. I think we mean to cook a grogeres of that type of egg. So you're making uh, scrambled eggs and you're making a few eggs at once or not sure, it's beitza or a grogeres bigger. Actually, not sure. So if you're mixing, but that, the amount to make a progress of this egg, that is the easiest to cook. Okay, and we'll leave it there for today.